0: Uh, open up the Word today, uh, John chapter 15. We can go to the first slide, Sharon, if you may. Um, we have been on a, uh, a quest or a journey on the heroes of faith, uh, taken from Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Various men and women of the Lord, who are just their voices, their testimony, still speaks to us this day, as the book of Hebrews says. Uh, and so we've been making a point that we want to go through as long as the Holy Spirit directs us and leads us. Uh, to just go through and uh, pick up on some of the mighty men and women of faith and, and and learn from their experiences and what the Holy Spirit was doing inside of them uh, and so today we are going to study Joseph uh, that's where we're at uh, but I want to start though with this story in John chapter 15 uh, verse 18 okay if the world this is this is Jesus speaking if the world hate you you know that it hated me before it hated you If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord. If they have persecuted me, oh, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had... Not had sin, but now they have no cloak or nothing to hide behind in their sin. He that hates me hates my Father. If I had not done among them the works which none other men did, then they had not sinned. But how have they both seen and hated both me and my Father? By this comes the word to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in the law, that they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. He shall also bear witness, because I'm sorry, you shall also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Amen. So, uh, a little interesting way to uh, to start uh, a story, or rather, the story of Joseph. Um, but this is what's going on here. Um, persecution is a guarantee. Not only is it a guarantee; it's a promise. Jesus says, they hated me. They're going to hate you. If you were of the world, well, they would love you. But you're not of the world. You're from a different place. You live a different way. You have a different way of thinking. You have a different anointing and spirit inside of you. So they will hate you. In fact, it says, come on, man. Like, is the servant better than the Lord? No. The servant gets to take part in the persecution as well. So persecution is a guarantee and a promise. And Jesus is saying that. Uh, but what's so wonderful here is he then leaves us and he says, well, don't worry. Because the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is going to come. And he's going to give you comfort. Not only is he going to give you comfort, he's going to give you the ability to get through this. Not only that, he's going to give you the anointing to stand for truth, stand in love, stand in grace, to show the dying world, the light that's come into the world. So don't worry. But the funny thing is <laughs> persecution is going to come. It's a promise, it's a guarantee. Now, you know, some persecution uh, some of you may have uh, engaged in at work. Or commonplace of persecution is your family. Ah, oh, you're a believer. Oh, you got this or the the, the name uh, the, the you know, the, the offset joking at work or the well, you, you guys know what I mean, right? Anyone yeah, come on, it happens, you know. It's, it's, it's a promise. But what's also interesting here is, I don't know if anyone else is, is with me on this. Uh, there's another type of persecution that comes that I think sometimes we don't recognize as persecution. And that's persecution of the flesh upon the spirit. Your spirit man, your spirit woman wants to live a certain way, knows that which is right. And your flesh rises up and tries to persecute your spiritual being. You know those thoughts that come up that say you're not really good enough? That's a persecution of the flesh, the sin nature upon the spirit. The anxiety, the depression, the worry, the addiction, the concerns. Whatever it may be, when the flesh is rising up, there's a form of persecution. Because the scriptures say that, right, We, we have a spiritual man inside of us. Paul himself says, man, why is it I don't do what I know I should do? And I do the things that I know I should not do. It's because all of us have this Jacob Esau thing going on of last week. The wrestling inside of the womb. And it's a form of persecution. Uh, now, the question is, if we can go to the next slide. Uh, the question is, in all of this, is how are you going to respond? This is it, man. Jesus says persecution is coming. And it's going to happen. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. So when it comes, just be like, I, I Meant to be. But now, the really Holy Ghost, Spirit filled question how do we respond to the persecution? And some of us are like, oh, well, you know, I just blow it off and I just let people say what they say and I just respond in love. That's awesome. That's great. Maybe you're at that place and you arrived to that place. But I, there's not too many of us that I'm, that I'm aware of that when that internal persecution comes, do we have the, the anointing, we have the anointing, but do we have the tools and the understanding to push that persecution away? Say, flesh, get on down. So I don't know who you are or where you're at with it, but there's two types of persecution that happens. One is inflicted by the sinful nature that is still inside of us, unfortunately, and also that of the world, right? And so the question is how you respond. This is it, right? The manner of your response to persecution Displays the level of your revelation of your identity in him. Now I was just I was just in prayer, man. I don't get these like little quotes. Like some some pastors, like they're all about the quotes, you know. I was just praying. The Lord was just like, boom, he put this in my spirit. I'm gonna say it again. The manner of your response to persecution displays the level of your revelation, the revelation of your identity in him. How do you respond when the persecution comes? Um, If we can go to the next slide, there's really two ways in which we can respond. We can respond as a son or daughter or as an orphan. When the persecution comes, do you understand the revelation of who you are in the Father because of the Son via the Holy Spirit? Like, do you understand what it really means to be a son or daughter of the Most High God? Or are you still kicking around as an orphan like saying, who's my dad? But you see, the Scriptures say we no longer have to cry out. Because we have been bought the price. And we can cry out, Abba Father, Daddy. Now, what happens here is, and I think you guys are probably mature enough to understand this kind of concept, that when you are an orphan, you don't know who you are. Like, think about someone who's legit an orphan. My daughter and I have been watching the the movie Annie. It's hard enough, man. The sun will always come out. It's a pretty cool film. But, you know, here's this girl, Annie, or any orphan. They don't know who their mom and dad is. They don't know what their last name is. They don't know what their heritage is. You know, we just talking about St. Paddy. Say, hey, who's Irish? You know, these people don't, eat, they don't know any of that. And it can create a womb inside of us. But I really do believe that in the church today, the, the big church across the world, it's always been this way, unfortunately, that many of us have a mindset of orphanhood. We don't believe, we don't understand that our daddy loves us so much he wants to give us all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. That it doesn't matter what people are saying about me because my daddy is madly in love with me. So, what happens here is this. When a son and daughter understands the revelation, we really understand our identity in him. We're going to respond to persecution in a certain way. In a positive way. In a biblical way. In an anointed way. In a way that is dripped in the anointing of the Holy Ghost when we do not understand our true identity then we respond as orphans and by orphans we respond with bruised identity false sense of security low self esteem that says oh you're persecuting me and you feel bad about but Jesus says when they persecute you rejoice when they persecute you rejoice because you know your father in heaven loves you so What we have here is we have some identity kind of issues, and we also have maybe a misunderstanding of the power of the gospel when we're walking in this. Okay, so that's really like the background of, of what's going on here. And that's really like the spiritual application of what's going on. Our understanding and revelation of what persecution means and really how our response to that is. What it means here is there's two types of persecution, that from the world and from external, but there's also an internal persecution that occurs from your flesh nature. How do you respond to it? That is the biblical question. Do you respond as a son or daughter who knows who they are in the father? Or do you respond as an orphan who does not know their father and is seeking attention, ego, identity, self-esteem by the way in which people view you? There's the message. But, here we go. The story of Joseph in the Bible uh, is a story of response to persecution. I'm not sure if you have read the story of Joseph. We're going to go through it a little bit, but there's like 12 chapters of Joseph in Genesis. Unbelievable how much attention is put on this man. And so we're going to go through a little bit and learn and and try to go go deeper in this. So Joseph is is a response to all of this. Uh, And we said in the past uh, that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. It's a common saying. And so the story of Joseph is really a foreshadowing of Jesus. Joseph himself is is, is similar, has a similar story uh, to Jesus. And really also the story of Joseph is going to be a story and issues that befall us in our life. It's a story of brothers who are going to come up against the younger. It's a story of rejection. It's a story of sur- suffering. It's a story of persecution. Amen? And what people sometimes don't understand here is that in the biblical understanding, uh, there are two types of messiahs, two types of anointed ones. In fact, uh, uh, Jesus fulfills both of them. He's fulfilled one, and he's coming back to fulfill the other. In the time of the first century, the Jewish people believed that a Messiah would come eventually. And he would be what's called the Ben David, the son of David. He would be the righteous king, the one that was going to go out and kick the Romans out. The one who was going to set up his uh, earthly kingdom on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And he was going to reign there, right? And Israel would be a light upon the hill, right? It is the Yeshua, the Jesus, the Messiah that we recognize as coming the second time. Like when he comes back, man, he's coming back with fire in his eyes. Setting up a kingdom. Setting things straight. Now, the Jews of the first century believed that that was the type of Messiah that was going to come now. Now, in their theology and even in the biblical record, there's another type of Messiah. That they did not want. Because they wanted the king. I mean, who wouldn't? The other type of Messiah, interesting enough, is the Ben Yosef. The son of Joseph. The one that suffers. Whew. The one that suffers for his brothers. That's the one that came the first time. And many of us, in our spiritual walk, we forget that nuance. We forget that there's two. There's, there's, a, there's a suffering Jesus. And we're called to suffer alongside of him and receive persecution. But there is also a bend David. Be. There is one who's come back with fire, <laughs> to set up his kingdom. Cool. So let, let's talk a little bit about the story of Joseph so, you know, so you get a little bit of an understanding of, of, of what's going on here and the foreshadowing of the coming of the Lord, and really those things which may befall us. All right, so what happens here in the story of Joseph uh, is Jacob, right, has his... Um, has his sons. <clears throat> Excuse me. So actually at this point, uh, he's going to have 11 sons. Uh, he has the 10. The 11th one is going to be Jacob. Uh, the 10 brothers are, of course, older. Uh, you know, there's a pecking order the way it works, right? Judah was, the, I believe, the oldest. and So, you know, he's like the man. And Jacob is the little youngin that uh, just came a part of the family. Uh, and what happens here is it becomes so clear Especially if you ever see, like, Joseph's Technicolor dream code in a play or a movie. Essentially, the father, Jacob, starts to... I'm sorry, the father, Jacob, is blessing his son, Joseph. Uh, it's very clear that Joseph is the favored son. Uh, jo- uh, Jacob wants to spend more time with him. Uh, Jacob just blesses him and showers him with blessings and gifts and all this kind of stuff. And essentially what happens here is the brothers get jealous. Uh, and what compounds and makes this even more difficult, if you know the story, is Joseph starts getting revelation, dreams from the Lord. Not only does Jacob appear to really favor, but it seems like the Lord is just singling Joseph out, and his brothers are getting ticked. They're getting mad. It's not how it works. The youngest. What? That's not how it works. And so Joseph gets this dream. And it's a dream that his older brothers one day will bow down to Joseph. That Joseph would be a leader over them. And their brother's like, nah, that's not the way it's going to happen. Joseph's like, I had this dream. I'm not asking for it. I had a dream, a dream. A dream that you guys are bending down. You're worshiping me as a single as I'm a leader. Essentially what he's saying here without even knowing it as a young boy is he's going to be the one that receives the inheritance and the blessing from his father. That's not the way it was supposed to work. Which is interesting because that's actually the way it's always been working, because his father Jacob did the same thing happen, right? Unbelievable. Oh yeah, that's right. And his great great-grandfather happened that way too. <laughs> Isaac, Ishmael. Right? That's the way it's been working. The Lord just likes to choose the, the weakest, the youngest, the smallest. Anyhow, this jealousy happens, and he, they, they, they conspire to kill him. Uh, and one of the brothers, uh, which brother was it? I think it was Reuben. i got double check and forget. Uh, but one of the brothers comes up and is like, no, we can't do this. We can't kill him. That's just too much. I don't want his blood on my hands. Let's just put him in a pit. We put him in the pit and we're going to sell him. Is Judah who, who said to same? Thanks, man. Um, gonna, they're going to sell him for 20 pieces of silver to the Gentiles, to the Egyptians. Now, right there, we got a lot going on. Right there, it is like, up, up, up. That's that's the gospel right there. Right? Jesus comes. His brethren do not want him. They send him away. They sell him to the Gentiles, to the Romans instead of the Egyptians for 30 pieces of silver. Maybe there's been a little inflation over the last 3,000 years. It's a little econ joke. You get what I'm saying here? It's a parable. It's a foreshadowing of the coming of Yeshua, the coming of Jesus. And so what happens here is he's there. uh, And he's sold off. And his brothers don't recognize the anointing. And the brothers now are forever engaged in this kind of place of of orphanhood, this place of, of slavery and bondage. But the Lord has an anointing on Joseph's life. In the midst of that persecution, the anointing on Joseph is still there. Genesis chapter 39 verse 3, and it says, And his master in Egypt saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. Even in the midst of being rejected by his brethren, being sold into slavery, the Gentiles, the Egyptians, saw that everything he did was prosperous because of the Lord. He's then caught in this little situation. He's above reproach, man. Uh, His servant's wife comes up to him uh, trying to engage in uh, sexual activity. And Joseph's like, no, I can't be a part of this. He just runs away. The wife then lies to the master and says, oh, he tried to have his way with me. And they go to Joseph, and they're so, the master's so heartbroken, they throw Joseph in jail for two years. He's in this place of persecution and jail for two years. But when he's there, he doesn't give up. When he's there in the midst of this massive amounts of persecution, the Holy Ghost is still on him. Never once do we hear Joseph complain to God. Go read the story. He doesn't complain. He doesn't say, why why do my brothers do this to me? He doesn't try to necessarily receive a vengeance until a little later, kind of, sort of. But when he's there in the pit, in the midst of this persecution, he continues to receive revelation from the Lord and begins to have more dreams. And finally, what happens here is we know, hopefully, the story where uh, Egypt, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh is, is all freaking out because he's having all these crazy dreams. The, uh, the jail attendant is like, well, there's this guy who's in, sitting in jail who just like has all these dreams and these revelations. Maybe you should try him. And now Pharaoh is like the head of all. Is like, yeah, bring this guy out. And Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is so astonished. And what happens here is Genesis chapter 41, verse 38. This is amazing. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a man as this? A man in whom the Spirit of God is. His brothers reject him, his brothers persecute him. But through the persecution, the anointing of the Lord is upon him. His response is, I'm still going to hang on to the Lord. And through that, through that, through that, the revelation of the one true God comes to people. It just came from an unlikely place. His brothers didn't see the anointing on him. It was the foreigners who did. What I'm trying to engage you here in this, no matter what the level of persecution you have, we have to be like Joseph and we do not put the blame on our brothers. We continue steadfast in what the Lord is doing. Even if literally you are in a pit. For two years, in a jail cell, in the midst of depression, wherever it may be, you just still hold on. You say, I'm trusting in what the Lord has for me. Because He spoke to me. I know Him. And through the midst of the persecution, yeah, maybe your family is attacking you. But as you stand and receive that anointing of the Lord, other people will be drawn. It's a promise. It just may not be the people that you think. But it will be people. That's what we got with with, with Joseph. Now he's freed. And that's really cool. Uh, And what happens here is we we see a little bit on the, the status of how Joseph responds. The manner of your response to persecution displays the level of your revelation of your identity. When Joseph is finally freed and he's in Pharaoh's house, he has two sons. The one son is Manasseh. He says, I shall call and name my firstborn Manasseh because he made me forget all of my pain. Me being God. God is the one who made me forget my pain. He has another son, Ephraim. He says, I shall call him Ephraim because he has made me fruitful in the midst of affliction. Look, this is the heart of Joseph. All the things, like, he, he he's in a foreign land. He's been sold into slavery. He just spent two years in a pit. Who knows what kind of weird stuff was going on there. He's going through all of this, and he stands, and he says, Man, my God makes me fruitful even in the midst of persecution. My God has made me forget all the pain of the past. Because he's my God. And he gives me dreams. And his anointing is on me, and people will see it. And he's using me. That is a response of, like, someone who understands his identity. Talk about, there's a man that would have some, like, daddy issues and brother issues and family issues. Joseph is the one. His brothers hate him so much that they want to kill him or send him away and sell him off. It's unbelievable. But Joseph knew who he was in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so what we have here is, we can go to the next slide. Joseph is essentially, right, this understanding of of foreshadowing of Jesus. And in the midst of persecution, what we have to understand is surrender. But not just surrender, but the art of surrender. It's not just surrender. There is an art and a beauty to surrender. Oh, yeah, just surrender to the Lord. I don't even know what that means, man. But there's an art of surrender. There's a beauty to it. The beauty is, in Joseph's life, in Yeshua's life, in our life, we have the ability to decree as sons, Abba, it's not about me. Everything that's going on is actually not about me. It's about you. Jesus always wants to point us to the Father. To the Father. To the Father. I am the Father of one. You see what I'm doing? I'm doing the works of my Father. I can only do that which the Lord, which the Father has sent me to do. Go to the Father. It's all about the Father. All, he goes on the cross because it's all about the Father New. He wants to restore it all. So the art of surrender is, man, whatever is coming at me, it's not about me. It's that in the midst of this, when people are doing this, can they see someone who's standing in perfect peace and grace and love saying, you may be coming at me, but I'm here to tell you about a man and His name is Jesus, and he came to save you. The Father wants you so much. He just loves you. I know you persecute me. And I know you're saying these things about me, but do you know that I love you so much? Do you know that you're my brother? That you're my brother, man. It's all about the Father. You know, uh, the next slide. Uh, And if we can have the worship team come on down, please. I apologize in advance if if this portion uh, is a little uh, theological in nature. But it may may benefit all of us, and I'm I'm believing it's going to benefit at least some of us, not all. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, We have what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. The sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who shall inherit the land of promise. Canaan will become Israel. They're the ones that the rest of the story is about. The rest of the Bible is about them. About their descendants. The fulfillment of the ultimate descendant, Jesus. It was a people who were called to be a light unto the world. That is so powerful, it's so beautiful that in heaven, there are gates into the entrance of heaven. Each gate is one of the tribes of Israel. It's not like, oh, here's the gate of America. Here's the gate of South Korea. Here's the gate of Ireland. The gates of heaven are the 12 tribes. We get to join. We get to be adopted, bought by the blood of Jesus and come into the 12 tribes. Now the 12 tribes are Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Dan, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Naphtali, God, Asher, Ephraim, and Manasseh. there is no tribe called Joseph there's no tribe called Joseph why? he's the most beloved of all of his father yet no tribe Now, in Revelation, finally, in Revelation, finally, it says of the tribe of Joseph. It's the only place in Scripture, in Revelation chapter 7, I believe, where it says that there is a tribe of Joseph. Every other time, we're just talking about the tribes of Israel. They never mention Joseph. Joseph is not a tribe. In fact, Ephraim and Manasseh in in the red right there are considered half-tribes. They're the 12. What's going on here? At the end of Jacob's life, says to his servants bring in my son bring in my son I'm going to bless him and he blesses Judah he blesses Simeon Judah Dan he blesses all of them and he just blesses them with, with different callings and futures and anointings and all this kind of stuff and then it comes down to the youngest Joseph Joseph walks in and says daddy it's not about me don't bless me Here are my two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, bless them. He was the only son that just got it, got it, it's not about me. Don't bless me, you don't need to bless me, I've already been blessed. Bless my two little ones, just, just pour your anointing, everything, everything that was supposed to come upon me, I want you to give it to them. Because, because, because Joseph is an archetype and a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus says it's not about me. It's about the Father. It's about my sons and daughters. You don't have to. It's just about them. I take on the blood. I take on their shame. I take on their pain. It's not about me, Father. It's about you. It's about your children. Jesus. Jesus. He got it. He got it he understood in this persecution it's not about me it's about others and when it comes time to finally reap the blessings he still says i rather you bless the children because it's all about the kingdom it's all about the next generation Woo! how many leaders in the church you know a little older say you know i want to step out of the way a little bit. i'm allow the younger ones to come on up How many worship leaders are like, you know, it's not about me. Let's encourage the young ones to play the drums. How many of us are sitting here like, oh, they're they're, they're banging the drums. They got the sticks going and What's going on? I I can't engage. Come on now. It's not about you. It's about the Father. It's about the Father's heart and these little children that are just crying out to the Lord at a young age. So beautiful, isn't it? Oh, it's so beautiful. When it's not about us. I am. In fact, in Judaism, it comes from Genesis. In Judaism, there's a special blessing on the Shabbat. It says, may, you be, may your children be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Be like them. Closing our bit today, which is usually a signal, as Alan has told me, that we go another 10 minutes, but it's awesome. He says it in love. It's, it's good. Genesis chapter 50, this is, this, this is just where it all just comes together. Genesis 15, 19. This is like right after the blessings of Ephraim and Manasseh. His brothers go to Joseph and, you know, I'm missing some pieces, but there's like 12 chapters to the story. I can't hit on everything. Sorry. Go read it, you know. A lot of cool stuff going on. Jesus. His brothers come to him and it's like, all right, we know you're our brother. We really goofed up. What are we going to do? Genesis chapter 5, verse 19. Or really, verse 18. And his brethren went and fell down before Joseph. And they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, yeah, you thought evil against me. God meant it for good. But as for you, you thought evil against me. God meant it for good. To bring it to pass, as it is this day, to save, to save, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear not, for I will nourish you and your little ones. And And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. In the midst of persecution, Joseph was able to say, you know what? No matter what's going on i know god has a purpose to this. and through the midst of that persecution his brethren were able to escape famine were able to go to egypt we were able to be saved and he says yeah i know you persecuted i know you did all this but all this was brought to a point a point whereby you could be saved that's the story of jesus the question is shall it be the story of us as they persecute you, will you stand strong and respond in the appropriate manner, in love and in the anointing, and say, "You know what? All of this is coming to pass so that you could be saved." Yeah, you're coming at me now, and I'm receiving it. But what's going to happen is they're going to see you respond in love. They're going to see you respond in the anointing, and you're going to, and they're going to say, "Man, like nothing's touching these people." And you say, "That's because I've been bought by the blood of Jesus." Persecution sometimes comes for another purpose. The problem here is, as we were talking, if it's about you, if it's about your identity, well, then it's all wrong. If you're an orphan, then you're not going to get this. If you're an orphan, you're not going to be able to walk in that. If you get your self-esteem by what the world says about you, you're never going to arise to this. If you understand who you are as a son, and daughter, the Most High God, no evil word shall befall you stand strong You say man I don't get my identity and my value for money and my career and how people think about me I get my identity not through the eyes of man but only by the eyes that matter the eyes of the father how he sees me he sees me and what does he see he sees the precious blood of the lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world when he sees me he says unto me you are the apple of my eye when he sees me he says Oh, from the foundations of the world I gave my son and bought you and I'm ready to give you all spiritual all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus that's how a son talks son the daughter says, oh, and the door says are you coming on me? I love you man I love you I love you a son is a vessel that says no it's not about me it's like being like Joseph it's not about me it's not about me it's about you and if persecution comes if it comes and in some way in some way it may have a purpose in the story of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth bring it on because it's not about me about him if you need to gain an understanding of how the father sees you there's a lot of hurt people in the world a lot of hurt people in the church a lot of people who got born again, but they never got the renewal of their mind. They got born again, but their spirit and consciousness has not come into the full contact of what it means to be a son or a daughter. If you need to know, read Psalm 139. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Everything is within me is how we started worship today. Let me not forget, let me not forget all that you've done for me, and it goes on and says, Oh man. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew you in your mother's womb. My thoughts for you. Oh, my thoughts for you. Are more than the sands of the shore. More than the stars in the sky. We need you to adopt that. We just need to bring that on. Take that on. Amen? So, let us respond. In the midst of persecution, both from the world from our own flesh let us respond as sons and daughters We say He loves me Father we come before you and we say thank you that you love me that while yet I was a sinner you died for me Lord, we just declare, it does not matter. It does not matter what people say about us, what they think about us. Father, I pray right now, I know sometimes it hurts. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. That's the reality. It hurts, man, it hurts. I know it hurts. But Lord, I pray that in the midst of that hurt, we just say, you know what? I'm gonna use this as time to understand how my Father sees me. Because it's all, it's all about you, Jesus it's all about you it's all about you Jesus you are the potter we are the clay clay does not say to the potter, form me this way. The clay just submits and falls into the hands of the potter. Make us vessels. Vessels that hold your spirit. Amen. Have a wonderful week at the cook-off downstairs in a little bit. Please feel free to just stay and engage in the presence of the sweet spirit here. Come on down if if you need some prayer about anything, particularly about facing persecution storms of life. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. There is no